Hello. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Disturbing Behaviors. I'm Denise. I'm Amanda. And today we are going to talk about Craig Price. This case is absolutely fascinating to me for a couple of reasons. One, this happened in my home state. This, uh, these crimes happened in Rhode Island, which is where I'm from. And actually, the location isn't that far from where I'm from. And actually, it's kind of in between where I'm from and where my parents grew up. So it's in considered Buttonwoods area of Warwick, Rhode Island. And Craig Price is only a year younger than I am. Wow. And yeah, yeah. He was a young... So these things happen. I, so I have a very distinct memory of these things happening and just kind of being floored by this. So I think we're going to start with the elephant in the room and address the fact that Craig Price is black. His crimes were against white people. However, his crimes were not racially motivated. So I do want to address that. I'm sorry, my laptop keeps trying to install a program I don't have. Where's my weed? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's how we solve everything. So, all right. So Craig Price, let, let's talk about this. He committed crimes as a child. So yes, I am not black. I cannot speak to anybody, any person of color's experience as far as racism goes. I can, however, speak of the racism I encountered in Rhode Island in 1993 through 1995 when my oldest boy was born. So are there racial issues in Rhode Island? Yep. A very good friend of mine put it to me best. She said that she would take a Southern racist over a Northern one. She said, because in the South, they'll call you the N-word straight to your face. In New England, they wait till you walk away. And she's not wrong. She's really not wrong. It's just more, and I think I'm going to talk. So I'm going to speak my state from, there's a damn good reason I don't live there. (laughs) There's a lot of reasons I don't live there. I am not a fan of New England. It's cold and everything is taxed by thousand. 5,000 times higher than they need to be. So, but we're going to go back to Craig Price and we're going to talk about his crimes happened in the the later part of the 1980s. So again, he's a black man. These are crimes against white females. However, the, the crimes are not racially motivated. So I think that's kind of an important thing to isolate with this case. So he was born on October 11th, 1973. Like I said, it makes him a year younger than me. And he was born into a otherwise unremarkable family. It was a solid family unit. Mom, dad, he has two siblings, a brother and a sister. There's not a lot about the family, but here's what, you know, my research has dug up. The family was normal. Mom worked. Mom did clerical work and worked for Kmart. Dad was a manager. They were active in their church. And Craig, you know, so he was not born into a house. Normally when we talk about serial killers, like we did with Eileen, we talk about, you know, they kind of check some boxes, you know, drug use, any type of uh, physical, emotional, sexual abuse. None of that was happening for Craig Price and his family. 
So there wasn't, it wasn't a broken family. They were not on welfare. They were your average blue collar family living in a pretty decent neighborhood in Warwick, Rhode Island. Like I said, the Buttonwoods area, I'm very familiar with that. I have some family that lives in that area. Buttonwoods is also Warwick City Park, Rhode Island being (laughs) quirky, if you will. (laughs) We call things our own things. Uh, Button, we would call it Buttonwoods and it's Warwick City Park. And that's actually where my children learn to swim. Is that that? Because there's a little cove that's in there. There's a little tiny beach that's in there. I'm actually going to pull up some pictures and send them to you so you can put them on some of the websites that, okay. that we have that just kind of show like old pictures of, of buttonwoods. So uh, this is an area that I'm very, very familiar with. So go back to young Craig Price, who was born to a stable family. I think part of the reason why he fascinates me is because we've talked, you and I have talked, we've had numerous conversations about nature versus nurture. Right. And quite frankly, in Craig's Price's case, this boy was born bad. He was just born with the devil in his soul is, is what it seems to me. Because like I said, he has stable, involved parents. They went, they were active in their church. And prior to the murders, which by the way, he was 13 years old when he committed his first murder. But by the time he was nine, he began having what he said, he described as deep thoughts of people dying. And when that, I mean, nine, nine, I mean, you're looking, go back to your early childhood education. You're looking, you're still in that developmental stage. You're still in a growth stage. So it's highly unusual for people to start having those type of disruptive and intrusive thoughts at such a young age. You know, so, this wasn't like curiosity, but so his siblings, you know, you said that they had mm-hmm. a pretty normal childhood. Uh there was no physical, emotional, nope. sexual trauma. Did his mm-hmm. siblings grow up normal people? Yeah. I mean, normal yeah, is relative, um, but yeah, his his family actually disappeared. It's kind of hard to find any information about them. And they they grew up normal. They're normal people with normal families, living normal lives, with the exception of being related to the most notorious killer in Rhode Island history. They and, and it's very interesting. And here's here's where we, we start talking about when we talked about Eileen, we talked about, you know, let's if there had been early interventions. Mm-hmm. If she had been removed from that situation, if she had gotten some counseling, if she had gotten some trauma, you know, where would her life have been? Now, here's what's interesting. And I, I did make a point of mentioning his race, and I'm sure I'm going to get some backlash from this. But before he started, after he was nine and he started having these intrusive thoughts, these ideas of deep thoughts, which means he really kind of had basically fantasies of people dying going on in his brain. His parents put him in therapy. So they knew about his thoughts, his intrusive thoughts at nine years old? Yes. Okay. And they they were trying to combat this, which makes this case even more interesting. These were not parents that had checked out. And that's very interesting considering the fact that he's basically Gen X like I am. And I grew up basically feral. So I mean, (laughs) like, you know, you go back to the, the 80s, which is when all this stuff is happening. 
you also had in that time frame. I mean, my parents, my mom has a master's degree in clinical laboratory science, does not believe in psychology. I've already picked her home out. So, you know, <laughs> there's that. But you remember back in, well, you probably don't, but I remember back in the 80s, there was that whole like satanic cult. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Remember how that was going around? And that really cast a very dark shadow on mental health professionals. You know, that whole, you know, they're, they're satanic cults in the, in the suburbs, which was all, all have been debunked. I know that we're going to address some of that in, in our other episodes, but this family, despite being in the eighties, despite the fact that typically families of color do not seek therapy, mm-hmm. they are actually the least likely ones to go into therapy because it's kind of a cultural thing. And, you know, therapy back then was still very taboo, mm-hmm. very taboo, you know, and nowadays I could sit there and, and say, you know, my kids, when my kids were that age, around the age of nine, that's how old Bug was when I started get, processing the divorce to my ex-husband. I had him and his sister who was seven and David all in therapy and everybody's like, oh my God, that was so great. So glad that you did that. That would not be the response you'd have in the 80s. Right. What's wrong with that? What is wrong? Ew, you know, like, you know, really kind of, like I said, this family, mom was there, dad was there. He had strong parental influences who, you know, saw that there was a problem and did not ignore it. Right. Got him into counseling and it was like nothing, nothing, nothing faced him. Before he hit 13, he had been charged and issued cautions for, basically warnings, for breaking and entering, robbery, stalking, drug use, and assault. How old was he when all that happened? That was between the ages of 9 and 13. Jesus. Yes. And here's the other thing. He's a big boy. He is... You know, he he got big, small. He ended up at 6'4", and the last documented weight was 240 pounds. This is not yeah. a small kid. This is not, you know, when you think of a nine-year-old, you, you tend to think that they're a little small, you know? Right. And, but he was much bigger. He was a big dude. And he's, he was one of those situations where he got really big at a young age. And his family... They knew there were problems and they didn't do that whole, not my child. My child would never, you know, they didn't sit there and say, well, you're only saying this because, you know, we're a black family, you know, none of that. There's absolutely none of that. It was just the family tried and Craig just literally had no remorse, still has no remorse, still has no remorse. So at age 13, And this is, we're talking July 27th, 1987. He's 13 years old. He broke into 27-year-old Rebecca Spencer's home, stabbed her 58 times, 5'8", with a 10-inch knife he took from her kitchen. Hey, now you're getting in a bye bit. (laughs) You know, I mean, he just really, he, he went in there and what he has said, and you know, we're going to discuss this when we get into the media portions, but 
when you watch, there's there's his interviews are on YouTube. If you watch these YouTube videos, if you watch his confessions, he doesn't care. You're talking a pure psychopath, just no emotions, doesn't and care. And you know what? I read something really interesting too, that he was a well-liked child, mm -hmm. that he had tons of friends, um, yes. he played sports. Yep, he liked football. Know, and basketball and the neighborhood described him as being very gregarious you know he was outgoing and friendly so this you know when you hold on idiot goon squad okay the wind has blown we don't know what the hell we're doing oh. but it is what it are is are we done yeah i think so. i think so. god only knows what those idiots but yeah he was and you're you're correct when you look at that and when they interviewed like his friends and everything everybody was like surprised but not really like kind of that we we knew he would be capable of this but we just didn't think he would do it you know like that type of thing and his masking of being able to just kind of interact and play play basketball and and basketball and football are team sports. Mm -hmm. So those are the type of sports where you have to have a connection with your fellow players, with your teammates. Normally, when we talk about serial killers, what's the number one description? Loners. Loner. Had no friends. You know, isolated themselves. Pretty much everything that you can say about me, which is, we'll unpack that shit later. But, you know, like, he, very easy for him to make friends. And he was, he's very, he had that charming ability because he was interviewed. Now, here's the thing is that Rebecca Spencer's case went cold. And I remember when this happened, because again, she lived in a decent neighborhood there. It wasn't too far from us. Rebecca is actually buried in a cemetery, not far from my childhood home. In fact, my parent, my mom and I would take walks when I was younger and we would walk down to the cemetery and walk around it. And I remember my mom was just so upset by the whole thing because it was senseless. Rebecca was 27 years old. She has children. Her children were not with her that night. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God. And, you know, it's absolutely it was a brutal, and I remember I was only a teenager at that time. You're talking, I was 14. And I mean, I had just turned 14 the month before when this happened. And it was just very, I remember the sense of shock that went through our little local news and everything else about, you know, anybody has information. Nobody knew anything. And he was interviewed. Like, he was questioned. Because he was known for breaking and entering by that point in time. And he basically he was able to talk to the cops at that point in time without setting off any red alarms. I mean, just really was able to. So think about having that type chameleon abilities at 13. That's scary. It, it really is. And again, like I said, this case fascinates me because it's from my hometown and because this was happening. This was somebody that could have been in my peer group. Like, you know, you're talking, he's 13. I was 14. You know, it's not, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. And it's funny because I remember after he was arrested and that a bunch of us were sitting around trying to figure out if we actually knew who he was. Mm -hmm. 
because, you know, we would go into different areas and, and party and do stupid things because it was the 80s and we were largely unsupervised. And, you know, we're the reason why, you know, that meme goes around that says, you know, you would tell your parents you were sleeping over somebody's house and you were really dying in a field of alcohol poisoning. Yeah. That was true for me on more than one occasion. No problem saying that. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of us like, you know, it was like, oh, a friend of a friend knew this person. So just all of us kind of being shook about that. Now, basically, he continues with his his nonsense of breaking and entering and stalking. And now he had stalked Rebecca Spencer. He had stalked her prior to her killing, which was one of the reasons why he was interviewed. But he was actually really good at stalking and very, which is scary for a guy that big to be that good at stalking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of like, ooh, okay. Fast forward to September 1st, 1989. He is 15 years old. 15. You can't even drive a car at 15. Right. You know, you're getting your permit and learning at that point in time. On September 1st, he waited. Now, here's the only time race has been brought up in this case. And I say that because, one, you know how I feel about media manipulation of shit. They, they try to get everybody spun up on things that they right. really don't need to be spun up on. The only time race was ever brought up was when Craig Price was finally arrested he said that Jones, blah, 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 let me try that again, <laughs> so that when he broke into Jones' home, he claimed, now Joan had just moved there. She was in the middle of a divorce. She had two children, Jennifer, who was 10, Melissa, who was eight. Her brother was helping her move in. And what Craig says stated at one point in time, when he was being interviewed as to, you know, why did you do this? He claims that Joan's brother, I believe his name is Carl, claimed that Carl yelled at him. They were in there. They were all playing outside and said that the brother yelled at him and called him the N word. Now, everybody who witnessed that encounter said that the car drove by. Carl did not engage with anyone, much less shout out racial slurs. And like I said, that was kind of the only time race was ever brought up. Now, Joan was 39 years old, recently divorced. Craig admits that he was high on LSD, but he remembers every detail of this crime. So having been on LSD, <laughs> your memories are not the greatest. Just going to put that out there. So so let me ask you this. Mm -hmm. With Craig being as young as he was, was do, were you able to find anything about what kind of student he was? Like, did his teacher say anything? Did anybody suspect that he was capable of something like this? No, it was just that what tipped them off was uh, he was arrested on September 5th. Okay. Joan and her daughters were killed on September 1st. The reason why is that Craig cut his hand when he broke into Joan's house. And so when the police came to interview him, they asked him about his hand that was cut. Now it was cut on a window and it was cut on a knife. So he cut himself breaking into the house. That's where the reports differ. Either he cut himself on a knife that he was using or he cut himself on a window when he broke in. 
everything I read said that he had cut himself during the attacks. Yeah. So that was, and this was a violent attack. He woke Joan up. He was in, he was in her kitchen. He woke her up and he attacked her and she started screaming, which again, alerted, woke up her daughters, Jennifer and Melissa. Jennifer was only 10 years old. Melissa was eight. He crushed Melissa's skull with a bar stool type chair that was in the kitchen. All right. So I'm not even going to talk to crimes next week. (laughs) You're covering everything right now. You know, (laughs) but here's the thing. Like right now, what we're talking about, these are his childhood crimes. Oh, I know it. I know. know, These are his childhood crimes. Yeah. And when he went in, when the cops questioned him, he confessed. And he confessed without remorse. Yeah. It, it was one of the creepiest confessions I've listened to. Now, and, and you and I, you know, we both kind of enjoy reading these type of things and trying to study and kind of kind of trying to get, you know, where is somebody coming from on this? You know, where... The why. The why, you know, the underlying reason. And like, normally you can point to point to things like, you know, we look at what we talked about, you know, checking those boxes on how to make a murderer. You know, but Craig doesn't check those boxes. Has a mom? Yes. Has a dad? Yes. No drug addiction with for the family. Like the parents don't aren't. There's the police have been to their home many many times before the murders, and it was always because Craig would would start an altercation with his parents. Not that his parents were beating him or not that his parents were doing anything violent to him. His parents were trying to be parents, which for somebody who else else who grew up in the 80s, that was rare. Oh, <laughs> when you had parents mm-hmm. who were involved. Yeah. You know, he so was Was he violent with his parents? It's hard to say because they just what the police reports say because it's harder because he was a minor when this stuff was going on. And it was just really, you know, the cops would come in there. As soon as the cops showed up, he would calm down. So, but there was never any charges against Craig for domestic violence. Although reading between the lines, and this would be pure conjecture on my part. Do I think he was trying to? Yeah, I mean, his parents were just your average mom and dad. You know, it wasn't like his dad was this, you know, four time, you know, felon or whatever. You know, they worked quiet lives that, you know, they lived quiet lives. They worked their jobs. They went to their church. They tried to help their child. And he just, he just didn't have it. He, like he was born broken. And, but you know, that's a scary thought. Just the fact that you can, as a parent, you can do everything right and still somehow manage to raise wrong. a murderer. And I mean, honestly, I feel bad because, you know, the parents had a backlash. I mean, if you Google (laughs) Rhode Island's most notorious killer, Christ Price's picture pops up there. Okay. We're going to talk about this in, in our episode with Spencer, but he actually changed Rhode Island law. He changed the law. That's how, that's how significant and violent these crimes were. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, people circle around to to race. I don't really feel that race was a factor in this. It wasn't like there were crosses being burned on their front lawn. You know, 
this was Rhode Island, not the deep South. (laughs) You know, you're, you're talking about, yes, there are, there's still racism that goes on there, but there's no reports of that. There was no reports of him, you know, fighting with, with people based on their color or, you know, it wasn't these people who are, you know, the victims were big in, in the KKK or anything like that. There's nothing. These women, you know, lived middle class, blue collar lives, lives. They were not in trouble. None of these people, none of the victims had any type of, you know, when you look at things that would make you a high risk lifestyle, I believe that's what they're, they're called, you know, like people who are involved in drugs and um, involved in sex work or involved in anything like that, which would make them a higher target. That's not these, these women, quiet, peaceful little lives that they were just trying to live their own. And you would think that you should be able to go to bed and sleep through the night without getting started. Get your fat ass down off the chair. Get down, get down, get down, get down. Thank you. So, and it is, and I think that's what, what really, you said it right as a parent, because we're both moms. We're both Mm -hmm. moms. We have our children. I mean, your, your kids are still home. Mine are, are grown and flown. Largely, my daughter still calls me 5,000 times a day. <laughs> Largely to be like, I've decided I'm going to Dunkin'. Okay. <laughs> I don't know why that required a FaceTime video, but okay. But uh, all right. And then, it sounds then, like Paige. Yes, yes. And, but then uh, they didn't have it or they didn't do it right. And then she had to go to this one or they, were, you know, they did it right. And I actually got a good ice. I don't care. I love you, child. I really do. But. See, with Paige, it's, Mom, I'm going to have breakfast now. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have Reese's, Reese, Reese's Puffs. Okay. I'm getting a bowl, Mom. Okay. I have to go to the garage and get some more milk. Okay. I don't care. No. <laughs> Just do <don't>. it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but I mean, but we look at that and we look at how much time, especially when, when we both have children that had additional needs mm-hmm. and you think about how much time we have invested in counseling and behavior modification and just educating ourselves and doing all of that, you know, now, you know, mm-hmm. and to realize that these parents were doing the same thing. They said, hey, this is a problem. This is scaring us. We don't want him to act like this. We don't want him to have a drug drug addiction, you know, he kind of fell in with neighborhood kids who were into all of that stuff, which of course he fit right into. And it was like that, that type of life just appealed to him. And, you know, here you have, like I said, an intact family. Cause one of the, one of the big things is like, you know, a broken, coming from a broken home, coming from absentee mm-hmm. parents, largely, you know, absentee fathers. That's not the case here. You know, I can't, I've gone through, and like I said, I remember when this case happened. I remember talking, you know, with kids in high school about this and going, I don't, I don't get it. You know, there was not, when you, we dig through his, his childhood, there's no contributing factors. Right. You had a mom and dad who were active in your life. You had parents who were, you know, I hate to use the phrase, but productive members of society. They went to work, they went to church, they were involved in their neighborhood, they were involved with their children, they cared about their children. 
the marriage itself was intact by all accounts, that there was no issues of infidelity or domestic violence that Craig did not <laughs> perpetrate. But I'm saying like, it's not like when you look at other cases and, you know, you see, okay, we're calling, you know, mom by the first name and grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, you know, it's not where right. you can see the dysfunction. You look at this case and if you didn't, if you took a look at Craig Price's family, like took a family picture, there would be nothing that sticks out from it. Just your average blue collar family in the eighties. And I think that's what, what terrifies me is that people can, honestly, you know, we talk about nature versus nurture. I talk about that a lot in, in my house because you, we've talked about this. We've talked about bug taking more after Dave as his stepdad than he did his biological, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's honest to God. I, and, and they look alike. Good Lord. You put bug <laughs> to Dakota and they look, bug looks more related to Dakota where there's no biological connection than he does to his sister. And his sister is his full sister, you know, same mom, mm -hmm. same dad. But he looks, honestly, I looked at a baby picture of Derek the other day, my grandson, Dakota's boy, little one. I don't know how the hell he and, he and Bug are not biologically related. <laughs> they look like each other. They act like each other. So, you know, you, you have that. But when you look at Craig Price, the nurture is there. Mm -hmm. The nurturing environment was there. He chose his nature was to be like, nah, fuck that. And yeah. I think that how his mind works and literally he knew now he was very, we're, we're going to talk about that trial. He confessed, he confessed, but because it was before his 16th birthday in under Rhode Island law at that time, he could only be held in the training center until his 21st birthday you're talking five years before mm -hmm. murders obviously people were feeling some kind of way about that there was an absolute outrage about that there was absolute outrage and we'll we'll get into the laws that were changed when we have spencer on just because there's a lot to unpack with that yeah but he actually when he sat there and he was being charged with all of this stuff. And he knew. He refused to cooperate. He was not going to cooperate with therapy. He didn't do anything because he's like, you can't keep me here past being 21. I'm going to do the time. I'm going to do the time. He <laughs> bragged. This is what's scary. He bragged and he said that when he gets out, he's going to make history. I mean, he didn't care. He killed an eight-year-old little girl. Mm -hmm. No remorse. Bashed her skull in. These were violent, violent, violent outbursts, which, like I said, normally when you see that kind of rage come out, that kind of hate, for lack of a better word, there's usually dad was beating his ass. Mom's a drug addict. You know, there are things that we all go, well, yeah, right. look, there was nothing yeah, there, nothing, nothing there. I'll definitely go more into depth about obviously the crimes and what happened after the crimes next week yeah so yeah and that's just his childhood crimes we're yeah. not done people we are not done ladies and gentlemen he committed crimes while behind bars and we're going to talk about that in our in our next 
episode. But yeah, it, Craig Price is is one of the. It, it's just a case that really kind of sticks out to me, and I think a lot of it has to do with the closeness in our age and the closeness geo- geographical closeness. Yeah, you know, I've been in that neighborhood where he grew up. I've been in the neighborhood where those attacks happened, where the murders happened. I mean, that was all kind of my my teenage years too. And like I said, this this one was just so odd. Like I said, so, yeah, so so, so odd. Well, I think that's about it for his childhood, right? Yes. His, his, <laughs> normally, we're gonna, you know, normally we talk about, oh, okay, you know this, yeah. but yeah, his crimes. The, his major crimes, what really happened, you're talking at 13, he killed his first person. At 15, he had killed yeah, another Multiple three. people. Multiple, uh, yeah. Multiple, multiple people. So, yeah. yeah I will definitely get into that next week. Before we sign off, though, I do want to say if you are enjoying our podcast, please go in and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Also. I have set up our donations page because doing this podcast isn't exactly cheap. So if you do end up donating, you will get access to some exclusive content. Exclusive content. I've already got our first bloopers episode up. Yep. And then uh, I'm going to share on the what I call my farmland crime reports. That's uh, the antics that happen in, in. where I live, I live on six and a half acres of land with a whole cast and crew of animals that believe in shenanigans and fuckery, especially in the middle of the night. So, And they're funny as hell. <laughs> so hence, this is kind of where, you know, I became Piper's attorney. Yeah. You know, because Piper's the suspect in a lot of these uh, crime the reports. The beast of the bunnies is what yeah. Piper is. Piper's <laughs> the beast of the bunnies. The poor rabbits in my yard have no... No hope against that thing. They're not safe, but you cannot prove that my client was the culprit. Okay, so the next time there's a bunny skull in her mouth, I'm going to take a picture. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. I'm going to be like, oh, I'm sending it to your lawyer. <laughs> all you've got on her is tampering <laughs> with a <the> corpse. <laughs> That's it. That's, That's it. That's it. That's what we're going you can't with. Prove she killed the bunny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. So, so you wonder why I'm waiting for, honestly, I'm waiting for my neighbors and honestly, go ahead and donate. You're going to want to hear these stories because I'm a crackhead and my animals are no better (laughs) because my dogs all, all pretty much have, you know, adult, like human type names, Piper Lee, Noelle Elizabeth, Sadie Lynn, Bailey Bean. And I use their full names when I'm yelling at them outside. Oh yes, she does. It's so funny. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for first like DCF to show up. I'm waiting for like one of my neighbors because you can't see, you can't see into my yard, you know, because of all the, you know, we, we've got things growing and everything and you can't see. And my neighbors are, are like that too. So I'm waiting for like somebody new to move into this, you know, worldness <laughs> and listen to me. And I'm waiting for DCF to show up to go, we want to see Sadie Lynn because your neighbor keeps telling us uh, you're calling her fat and lazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I can, I'm just waiting for somebody to call because I'm going, get your fat ass out here. Come and the on, funniest thing, yeah. One of the funniest things, too, is that when you middle name the dogs, they get this look on their face and their ears mm-hmm. drop down and they mm-hmm. know they're in trouble. 
Oh, yeah. They, they, oh, I done <laughs> fucked up. Mom's yelling. Ah, mom's yelling. Yes. 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 Spoiled. Oh, All spoiled. So <laughs> be sure Today. to. So go ahead. Oh, oh, and and we will be recording our first TikTok too, and that will not be available on TikTok. It will be available on the donations via the Ooh. donations. So, yes, Amanda is going to do her very first tickety talk with me. Woohoo! So excited. Yeah, I found the perfect sound. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, be sure to join our Facebook discussion discretion wow discretion discretion and who's smoking weed uh, okay I, one of us <laughs> <laughs> not the one who can't talk you know? <laughs> join our facebook discussion group uh follow us on twitter at db the pod and follow us on instagram and with that we're gonna sign off and we'll see you next week Bye, bye guys <laughs>